Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Soprano. After some extensive traveling, we're finally back in our Northeast Ohio headquarters and ready to record some podcast. And this one, we record it with Henry Walmeyer, the president and CEO of the National Club Association. And Henry has some great perspective on what's going on in the private club side of the business and also some things going on in Washington, D.C. that affect not only private clubs, but all golf courses. So we're appreciative that Henry took some time to join us and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, Henry, thanks for joining us. I think the first thing we have to ask you is how would you describe the National Club Association? What are some of the things you do? Well, thank you, Guy, for having me. I do appreciate it. Uh, National Club Association, we are a trade association headquartered here in Washington, D.C., with uh, a mission to defend, protect, and advance the interests and well-being uh, of private social and recreational clubs. We have about 400 members uh, and represent nearly 700 private clubs across the country. Eighty percent of those are golf and country clubs, uh, with the remainder being city clubs, uh, athletic clubs, yacht clubs, racket clubs, uh, etc. And the main focus that we have as an association is, uh, is threefold. It's advocacy, insight, and governance. Advocacy front, uh, we are uh, the lobbyists for the private club industry. I know lobbyists can sometimes be uh, seen as a four-letter word, uh, especially outside of the Beltway. Uh, but here in Washington, D.C., it's, uh, it's a necessary evil to, uh, to make sure that uh, you know, an organization or an industry, such as the private club industry, is represented you know, by a lobbyist. And we do have a lobbyist uh, you know, on staff here at the NCA, and his job is to make sure that uh, the private club industry, and uh, namely you know, our members, you know, have a seat at the table when uh, issues uh, are being discussed, when regulation is being uh, made and, uh, and laws are being introduced. And so uh, for us, it's a uh, opportunity to make sure that, uh, you know, private clubs all across the country, um, you know, their voice is being heard, um, you know, whether they may not be here, uh, but we are for them. And so that's what we do on uh, the advocacy front, which is um, the, uh, the majority of what we do as an association. Uh, but we also provide uh, insights, uh, which are trends, you know, what's happening in the private club industry enables us to uh, educate our members uh, as to what are the successful things going on, uh, you know, from one club to another. What are they doing to make sure that they're fully engaging their members and providing their members value for their membership into that club and make sure that keeps them engaged because it is so competitive, uh, you know, for people's times. And so clubs are doing a great uh, job to say, okay, well, what can we do to make sure that our members are fully engaged and we are providing the services and benefits that, uh, that they are looking for. So we provide a lot of information in the trends and, and insights uh, in that. And then also, uh, thirdly, certainly not uh, last, uh, is our governance information that we provide. And this is to help clubs, uh, the general manager and staff, uh, and more so the board of directors, make sure that they are running the clubs as effectively um, you know, as possible. Make sure that the board is doing their job to look at uh, the uh, issues from a strategic perspective. Um, you know, boards should not be involved in the day-to-day -day operations you know, of a private club. They should be looking at where is the club going uh, in two years, three years, five years. What is that direction? Provide that guidance to the general manager and to the staff, and then let them execute on that. So a lot of what we do is to make sure that um, you know, we can educate these, uh, these boards of directors and, and, uh, and boards of governors so they understand what they should be looking for you know, in their roles. Because these are volunteer leaders who have you know, been very 
successful in their own careers and in their own lives, but aren't that familiar probably with private clubs other than you know being a member of one and enjoying them. Uh, but in terms of the uh, the governance side of it, there's lots of opportunities for us to instruct them as to what they specifically should be doing you know in that role on the board. We have a lot of listeners and readers who are employees of private clubs. How, how does your work benefit and help somebody that, that works at a private club? You know, first and foremost, uh, we're trying to help make sure these clubs have a, a much more solid bottom line. Uh, with some of the issues that we're fighting on and, and fighting for and, and trying to get done here in, in Washington, D.C., which can help a club be uh, be more successful. That's one. Uh, but then it's also, you know, what can clubs do uh, to make themselves more attractive to their members or also to potential members so that the club can flourish and it is active and it does have good revenue streams. So, you know, what we're doing, I hope, is to put everything in place so if a club, you know, utilizes the benefits of, of their membership through the uh, National Club Association, they are putting themselves in a great position to succeed. Um, you know, and by doing that, then that's going to work well for, obviously, all the staff and, and all of the members. How is a private club in 2017 different than it was in 1987? How, how in your mind, have they changed and evolved over the last 30 years? That is uh, that's a great question uh, because it has uh, evolved and changed tremendously. Uh, you know, we like to say, you know, this is not your uh, your father's, uh, especially not your grandfather's, uh, you know, private club anymore. You know, private clubs had to change uh, a lot uh, coming out of uh, 2008 and 2009, um, you know, during the recession because first thing that uh, that people did when you know they're uh, being hit hard by recession and have less disposable income is they drop their private club memberships and so what clubs looked at and said okay well what do we need to do to be able to one try to maintain as many members as we can then two you know try to win back uh, you know members once the economy has, has started getting better and what we've seen uh, you know since 08 09 is that the clubs that have been the most successful have been the ones that have been able to to make that change. And they've changed in terms of offering more things to their members. You know, it's no longer just the place where, say, you know, a dad might come and play golf, uh, you know, for four or five hours on a Saturday or, Saturday or Sunday. Also, you know, in the last 30 years, society has changed. You know, I'm a, a father of two. I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. There's no way that I can go out on a Saturday and Sunday for five hours, you know, and play golf. Uh, I've got soccer games. I've got baseball games, uh, all these other sort of things that, uh, that we're doing. Um, and so clubs, you know, are, are changing as well. They've realized that. And so what they're doing is what can we do to um, provide uh, benefit to the entire family? So you're seeing a lot of clubs who are gearing things towards, uh, towards spouses, towards children, you know, activities. I'm also doing things that, you know, we're putting together opportunities that don't take as long, you know, so, hey, come to the club and you might play nine holes of golf or come and, you know, we're building the golf performance center so that uh, you can come and practice and hit and for a half hour, an hour, it's not taking you, um, you know, a long time, but it still gives you that opportunity to, to get out there and hit a golf ball and potentially learn and do some more things. You can also do that with, uh, you know, with your children. Um, you know, we're seeing tennis that is, um, you know, growing in popularity at clubs because the family can do that and it doesn't take as long for them to uh, to play tennis as opposed to, you know, full 18 holes of golf. Clubs are becoming more centered on, uh, on health and wellness and fitness. A lot of clubs are um, putting in uh, fitness facilities and 
and then also spas and salons. That's what uh, you know the uh, the entire family is uh, is looking for. So clubs have done a you know very good job. The ones that have been successful have done a very good job of you know talking to their members, figuring out what they really want, and then being able to provide that to them. And a lot of that is you know different than you know what it was uh, 30 years ago. And you know to a club's credit, to a board's credit, you know those that can you know see that changes need to be made and who are willing to do that, you know, have been successful. And they've seen growth, uh, especially, you know, over the last five or six years, you know, coming out of the uh, the recession, they've seen the growth, uh, especially in terms of families and, you know, them getting more involved. Um, you know, I'll just give you one example. Is, um, there's a country club here in the, the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, when it snowed, they sent an email out to all their members who were in walking distance and said, hey, you know, come by the club, you know, go sleigh riding, uh, you know, on the golf course, and then we'll do, uh, you know, hot chocolate and s'mores around a, uh, an outdoor fire. So that's something that would have not been done, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, but, you know, because clubs are changing and they're more geared towards uh, the families, uh, that is something that, uh, you know, is a unique opportunity and way to be able to bring, bring families to the club and uh, make sure that they're maximizing their engagement. How prominent is the golf course still at these clubs? It is still prominent, you know, and we've seen also golf at private clubs is uh, is relatively healthy versus uh, you know golf uh, in terms of the numbers of, of golfers that you know with the National Golf Foundation numbers you know coming down. Golf at private clubs is is still healthy uh, because. A lot of people who are the more serious golfers, you know, will end up, you know, joining a uh, joining a club. Uh, but that still doesn't mean that clubs aren't don't have challenges. Uh, they're doing a lot to attract uh, women. Uh, they're doing a lot to attract uh, children. You know, they're putting in the golf performance centers. They're putting in simulators. Um, so it's still an integral part of the club. It's not the most important part of the club as it used to uh, used to be, where you know before it was just oh the golf course that's all that matters. Now, uh, golf is up there with okay, well what are the food and beverage? Um, you know, operations, what are the activities for the, the kids and the family, what are some of the health and wellness and spa, some of those other things that, uh, that we talked about. It is still a important component. It's just not as important as it, uh, as it used to be. You know, and I'll give you an example of, you know, clubs that are trying to get people involved. And, and a club does have the luxury versus a, a public facility uh, because they've got their members there and they can do different things with them. And another example is one club that started uh, on Friday afternoons uh, three hole. It was a three hole event for women who don't play golf, and they would have wine on each of the holes. And these women could go out there and, in a very relaxed social uh, atmosphere, they could play three holes of golf, and also not be worried about you know who was playing behind them or embarrassing themselves or doing um, you know anything wrong on the course. And it got them sort of hooked into golf. You know, first you play these three holes, and then you're also meeting other people, and then maybe go out and play six, and then you'll do nine, and then you'll do 18. But it's just a way that a club has the opportunity to be able to get people, you know, involved in golf in a different way, more so than a, uh, than a public facility would. You live in D.C. You probably hear a lot of interesting stories and meet a lot of fascinating people. What's the political situation like in your area right now for private clubs? What are some pieces of legislation people in the business should be aware of? Very interesting time in Washington D.C., and it's funny. Usually, I, I end up saying that every single year, thinking that you know I won't say it again. But uh, D.C. just gets more more interesting as we're uh, as we're going along. The the thing I will say is that um, you know obviously right now we have a president who is very familiar with private clubs. Um, obviously, having their uh, their own private clubs, and so that was good for us. Uh, but also, what we thought was good was because this president uh, was very much in favor of pro-business, pro-growth 
uh, rules and regulation and legislation. So we thought that would be good, not just for our industry, but for, for business overall. And some of the things that we have seen, uh, you know, President Trump and his administration do that have been good for us have been on the regulatory side, you know, slowing down some you know, regulations, um, you know, actually, you know, putting a stop to some, not enforcing some others. And so that's been good for us. You know, some of the things like waters of the U.S., which would have just been a very burdensome uh, regulation to comply with. And so that is being officially, you know, stopped and removed. Uh, but like, we are working with our uh, friends on uh, Water uh, Advocacy Coalition to, you know, try to say, okay, well, how can we work with the EPA to design a rule that is, you know, fair to everybody, but then also so we know exactly what the rule is, because that's the problem right now. We just don't know, you know, what the rules are uh, with regard to that. And so, you know, we can work together and, you know, build something that's going to be good for, um, you know, for our industry and other industries uh, as well. Overtime regulation was another one where uh, they're, you know, raising the threshold to who is considered a, uh, you know, exempt employee or not. Um, you know, that was stopped by a court uh, before the election. Since the election, uh, the, the administration has said, that, you know, they're not going to, um, you know, pursue that. But again, they're looking at, well, we we're going to, we probably will, you know, change it, uh, but not raise it as much as what the previous administration was doing. So again, so that's, you know, something that's a, a good sign for uh, for business. You know, and then some other, you know, labor issues, uh, some other human resource issues that uh, that we're trying to work with, um, especially uh, the temporary uh, employer, um, you know, situation trying to bring in uh, some more folks through uh, H-2B visas, uh, you know, would be very good for our industry, continue to work on that. Uh, I know the president uh, uses those employees, um, you know, and during the campaign support supported uh, the H-2B visas. So we're hopefully that we can, you know, do more on those because that is very big for uh, for our industry since it is, you know, so seasonal. So the big thing, and then the big thing we're going to see is, you know, taxes. What, what's going to happen with taxes when, um, you know, Congress uh, is back in session uh, in September and, um, you know, how is that going to affect, you know, individuals and companies and, and what's that going to do for the, uh, for the economy? So, um, you know, there's been a lot of things that are happening um, that's in the media that gets, you know, front page news. But, you know, we're looking at things, you know, what are which actually affecting, you know, businesses and clubs. And so far, we're seeing some good things. We wish that, you know, we could see more, but we like the way things are going so far. Yeah, it's crazy to think last year at this time, we were having the whole debate about exempt and non-exempt employees and how golf facilities were going to handle that situation if it was enacted. Is that just kind of an issue that's been tabled? Have you heard any discussion about that in Washington? D.C. with the overtime regulations that were uh, creating a lot of panic last year in the golf business? Well, right. What it was, uh, it absolutely created a, a lot of panic. Um, and uh, right before it was uh, set to go into effect, and I, I, I think it was November 1st was the day that it was supposed to go into effect, right before then uh, a court in Texas uh, put a stop to the rule said it can't go into effect um, you know, because of a couple of different things. And so then right after the election, the Trump administration said, okay, we're not going to pursue this uh, anymore. Our administration is not going to appeal that court's ruling. Um, so that was good. But what they have said is where they were raising the, you know, the, the minimum threshold from roughly 24000 to 48000 uh, they're looking at somewhere in the 30000 that they could, you know, raise it to. So it's still, you know, bringing it up a little bit, which is probably needs to be done and, you know, for, for current times, but it's not basically 100% jump, you know, overall. But that's going to be a situation where, you know, they'll announce it, uh, they'll have time for comments, and then they'll set a date of when it will go into, um, uh, uh, when it will be active. Um, so it'll give time, uh, people plenty of time to uh, uh, prepare for it. How would you describe the labor situation amongst your members right now? Are they having trouble filling 
open positions? And if so, what are some creative things you've heard being done to fill those positions? They are, um, you know, especially, you know, in the uh, the maintenance side, the grounds maintenance uh, side, um, again, where these are, you know, your seasonal workers, um, you know, when you're trying to find <laughs> uh, folks who are going to come in and, you know, work uh, early, work long hours, uh, you know, be out there in the uh, in, in the heat. And so it has been difficult. Uh, so, you know, the H-2B visa has been one uh, thing that uh, that our members have looked at. Unfortunately, with uh, the 66,000 or so, uh, that's just not enough to fill all the uh, all the positions. So some clubs are just trying to get by with what they have. You know, if they can't fill those positions, you know, others are looking at trying to say, okay, well, if we can do more things, um, you know, as a club, you know, can we use these workers, you know, for, you know, um, uh, the ground side and then maybe in some other, you know, parts of the club or doing some other things. So I think they're trying to figure out, okay, how can we get away from just the seasonal workers to potentially make these or as many people as possible as, you know, as full-time uh, employees because that's what people are looking for. We've talked about what dad and grandpa's country club used to look like. What do you think the country clubs that sons and grandsons are going to be members how are they going to look in 20 to 30 years? Um, <laughs> I wish I knew because I could make a lot of money. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew that. Um, I think you sort of look at a couple things. One is third place. Everybody's first place is their home. You know, that's, you know, where that's our first place. Our second place is our job. You know, most people, it is still an office. Some people, it's not, depending on, you know, where they work or if they can just do everything remotely. Um, so, but what is that third place? That third place is, you know, somebody's personal refuge. Is that a cafe? Is that a coffee bar? Is that a bookstore? You know, is it a private club? I think that's where clubs need to say, okay, how can we be somebody's third place? Because we know they're going to go, you know, they're going to have their home. We know they're going to have their job. Um, but then, you know, that little amount of time that they have for their personal refuge, how can we make it so that they want to come to the club? And I think that's where you're going to really see the club. Uh, you know, and that's what we're starting to see with these transformation, these clubs. You know, clubs are putting in some types of, you know, car, uh, coffee bars or Starbucks where, you know, members can come in and bring their computers, uh, you know, and sit there and do some work and hang out for a, uh, you know, for an extended period of time. Um, you know, clubs are becoming much more open to relaxed uh, dress codes uh, as also relaxed rules. I think it's about um, almost 70% of clubs, you know, allow some type of denim. Uh, and those 30% that don't are looking into, you know, allowing it. Um, so they're realizing that, you know, this is what is becoming more and more acceptable uh, and commonplace in society. And so they need to be able to, to change with that uh, in order to make sure that they have, uh, you know, members who are utilizing the club in uh, in 20 and 30 years. Um, you know, and it's, it's also, you know, what are they being able to provide the club? That health and wellness, you know, hey, come here, you've got a place to work out. Uh, you get the spa. You know, we're seeing some clubs who even offer uh, rehabilitation services where if if you need to work with a personal trainer, uh, now you can do it at the club or, you know, the club just provides that. So that member feels more comfortable being able to go to the club and do those types of things as opposed to go to a doctor's office or, or a hospital. It's all about you know, the brand of the club. It's trying to, you know, um, you know, want to celebrate the history of the club, but they can, you know, you can still do that, but wrap it in a modern experience. What can you do, you know, for groups, you know, whether it these beer tastings or wine tastings or cigar nights, casino. I mean, I think you, you're not going to see much of the the formal dining and the black ties and those types of things. But so what are some other things that clubs can do uh, to get their members engaged 
uh, you know, in that social, you know, uh, atmosphere. Um, you know, and it's also clubs, you know, making sure that they're, they're taking advantage of social media and interacting, uh, you know, with their members, uh, letting them know what's going on and then showing them all the things that, uh, that are happening. You know, I'll give you uh, another little example of, you know, how clubs are changing. There's, um, you know, about three, um, three clubs that have their own food truck now. You know, one, it's a cool thing to have. <laughs> but two, um, you know, as clubs are building these other things, such as, you know, the Golf Performance Center or, you know, uh, um, you know an expanded tennis center with, you know, paddle tennis and uh, that type. Um, you know, also, you know, expanded aquatics because more and more, you know, families are using pools and pools are becoming, you know, uh, more of the resort-style pools. You know, you can send the food truck around to these different uh, venues, you know, and feed the members without having to build a, uh, um, you know, a kitchen in each of those different places. Uh, and then it's cool to have when you're doing your big July 4th party or some other type of party to have the food truck out there and, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, have the members uh, partake in that. And so uh, it's just something that you would not have seen again at a club. Now it's starting to, and I think probably, you know, another 20 and 30 years, it's going to be much more common for them to, you know, to be doing those types of things. So you just gave me two great visuals. A, bringing my laptop to the club and trying to get work done with the golf course right behind me, and B, the, the food truck at the halfway house. You know, and, and again, that's the experience because that's what you know people are used to, and that's what they want. And they go to their club, and like, okay, I can, I can still get that. And you know, and a lot of clubs, you know, are going away from their formal dining. Like I said, they're going to the, 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 the more you know, casual, the fast casual, because they want to try to attract uh, the families who, you know, after their kids have been at you know practices uh, or whatever events during the week, they can say, okay, let's go by the club. You know, we can you know grab something to eat there. We don't have to be worried about you know dressing up in uh, in a coat and tie. Um, you know, and we can you know eat that. It's good food, and then can uh, you know, head off after that. And so again, they're doing these types of things to make it you know attractive uh, you know for people to uh, to come. Well, Henry, we really appreciate you taking some time, and thanks for joining us, and thanks for dealing with Washington D.C. So some of us don't have to be there all the time. <laughs> Absolutely, Guy. I do appreciate it. It's uh, fun to be here if it's, uh, if it's something that you're interested in. It's, it's, it takes uh, some special people to be able to live here inside the Beltway and, and do what we do, but uh, it can be very rewarding when we see the results that, uh, that we want to see and know that we are helping uh, you know, our members uh, as well as an entire industry uh, hopefully uh, be more successful and stronger and thrive uh, as we move forward. Uh, but I do appreciate the time, and if there's anything that, uh, that we can do here at the National Club Association, uh, for any of your listeners, uh, please uh, you know, they're free, feel free to uh, contact us and be happy to help them out.